0: Welcome back to the program, and let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord our God, I love you, praise you, and thank you for giving us grace and mercy, offering us your strength, your power, your action to be at work in and through our lives, and that you show us favor when we don't deserve it. You rescue us, and you preserve us from the horrors of sin and the consequences on our lives and in the lives of those we love. Lord, give us today the grace to choose you through prayer. Give us the grace, the prompting to say yes to prayer, to meeting you in prayer. And Lord, I ask for um, an increase in that sensitivity to your spirit at work in our lives as a beautiful fruit of prayer. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen i shouldn't take for granted the fact that uh, prayer uh, is something i can do on the radio you know uh, not a lot of radio programs begin with prayer you know here we are they, it's going out over the airwaves and who knows who's listening but i guess in some ways it's like here's a here's a typical activity if you're listening to the radio there's programming on there are hosts of programs and and you know they're going about their business they're they're achieving their the purpose of their program and i'm doing it the, I'm doing that as well, but I'm beginning with prayer because I want the Lord to be at work filling the uh, filling and radiating forth from everything that I say and think and do. I want to be guided by the Spirit. I want to be prompted by the Spirit of God. I want you to be blessed. I want you to sense God's presence at work. Uh, that came to me, and, and I actually hesitated at the beginning of the program. I was going to mention something. Uh, I've been um, spending more time uh, really, every day now, I'm spending time talking with folks in this like journey to helping them find a refuge, right? So uh, you may have heard, uh, if you've listened to Sound Insight, that um, uh, just over a month ago, I got my real estate license in the state of Washington and just finishing up getting it in the state of Idaho. Everything's like now in their office. They've just got to sort of click some boxes and say, "Yep, you're active in Idaho, so that's pretty cool. But as a result of that, I've been um, talking with folks um, and meeting with them. A lot of it, I ended up meeting with them over Zoom and it's really cool because I can share uh, screens with them and, and show them different uh, insights and resources. It's so funny because I'm doing a lot of the work that I do professionally as a consultant and a coach, helping people get to clarity about like what's their goal and then figuring out the best strategies to get there, putting that in a plan and then taking action. So it's funny. It's like I've been serving business owners, now I'm serving homeowners, um, but I'm doing it differently, and one of the things that's different is the context of prayer. I pray with each of these folks. I pray with them at the beginning of each of our times together. And in doing that, um, just I, I really pray that God will give them the grace to hear what God wants them to do, not what I want them to do, and that God would—I I actually pray this. God, protect them from anything that is not from you. Just wash that away. Let, let that not take root. But only those things that come from this conversation that take root— uh, let those things take root that are from you, Lord. That will be for them a source of insight and encouragement to follow your direction, Lord, for their lives. And I find that I find that natural, if you will, because it's something that I do so regularly. Like for for instance, on the radio here, but to be able to incorporate this into. Uh, the use of the like the the, the professional abilities I have um, to help folks like find a home, whether it's to sell their home or whether it's to buy a home, um, it's been really powerful, and uh, and I think it's been refreshing for some of these folks. Um, not only the um, not only the fact that we pray and we approach this from a spiritual perspective, but that the idea that they're buying or selling a home is approached so very differently. Uh, than what they typically have experienced. So I I think that that's been a real blessing um, for me. And I I, I just hope that it continues to be a blessing for other folks as well. So, um, you know, if, if it's something that you are considering, if it's something that you're wondering about, like, should we move? because of what's happening uh, where we're living right now in terms of our neighborhood, our community, our part of the state, and you're thinking about, or even if you're just thinking about visiting over here, I'd love to connect with you. Whether or not I work with you as an agent, Um, Carrie and I feel this call, and we've done it for two years before I ever became an agent, just to be available for folks to help them get connected with other families, help them get connected to schools where their kids might be attending, help them get connected to the the parishes that they might be discerning living in, and then helping them realize the neighborhoods where lots of other folks like themselves that they might want to fellowship with, the things that fit their criteria, uh, to be able to um help them like discover that that it's just been such a great blessing and i I love that i i'm i'm spending some time doing that now and for me that that's actually connected to prayer right today's program is is another program about prayer and i'm building a a part two yesterday i was talking about intercession right intercession is when you're a go-between right you're a mediator you stand between uh, the people in God are God and the people. And in some ways, uh, it's like uh, this this work I'm doing as a as like a real estate agent is, is like I'm a go-between. I'm interceding. I'm a go-between between them and their new life, the life that they have and the life where they want to go. and it's it's really cool uh, that uh, that 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 concept of you can fulfill the duties of your state and life in a way that is godly. You can fulfill the duties in your state in life in a way that is, um, radiating Christ and yet also done with excellence in, in the way that the world would evaluate it. So anyways, well, if you're interested in connecting with me around that, whether you're coming out here and you just want to get connected with families and churches and schools and neighborhoods and all of that, or if in fact you are in need of someone to help you, um, regarding the concept of buying or selling homes, uh, Uh, You can reach out to me on MyCatholicFaith.org. If you go to MyCatholicFaith.org, you can connect with me. Just send me a a message, and I'm happy to uh, get in touch with you. So so today we are talking about intercession, and we're building off of what we discussed yesterday. And um, remember now, intercession is one of those four types of prayer, praise, thanks, petition, where you pray for yourself, and the Lord wants that. In intercession. And we covered a variety of aspects of intercessory prayer yesterday. And one of the themes, one of the things that I, I brought out was that, in fact, it's not so much that you're going to say intercessory prayers, but that the Lord wants to make you an intercessor, to have that heart of the intercessor. And in order to do that, we need that sense of humility where this it, it's not us who are important or at the center, but others are. And we want to give ourselves over to others, but we want to do so with expectant faith, with confidence or hope that God has made promises and he's going to fulfill them. And that's why we pray for others and we intercede and with love. and And that sense of love is we're giving of ourselves our time, attention, focus, and energy on others in our prayer. So to be an intercessor is to be a person of great expectant faith uh, real beautiful confidence, you know, deep confidence, and uh, sacrificial love, and that um, and and that God calls us to intercede, right? He calls us to intercede, even though He gives good things without us, and He even gives good things despite us. There are many good things that He gives only with our cooperation. He's assigned them in a certain way into our hands. We are cooperators. Now, you might think that that's really a shocking thing, that there are certain blessings that God intends to give to your life, uh, to give the life of someone you love that will only come with your cooperation, that you are, I'm gonna use a word here, this is a strong word, co-creators, that that's, that's the level of cooperation, that's the level of God putting himself into your hands that he, he actually does. And you say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, that's too strong. That sounds a little bit heterodox. Like, that, is that really orthodox? Well, think of the concept of having children. Is having children something that is God's divine intervention into this world, and all of a sudden, someone's pregnant? No, there is a human level of cooperation, a human level of saying yes we we'll are open, Lord, to work with you in this great gift of giving the gift of life. So God has made us, and this is, this is actually John Paul II, talks about it like this. You read his letter to families, this, this responsibility that gives us a share in God's creative power in generating life, in creating life. And, and there's a way in which the reality of new life is in our hands. It's that degree to which God has placed his creative power in intimate, profound relationship with our action. Whoa, that is so stunning. And if God does that with regards to the bringing about of natural life on earth through the bearing of children, then isn't it sensible? Doesn't it make sense? that there are ways in which there are good things that God intends for us, that come to us, guess what? Only when we ask, that's when we receive. Only when we knock, that's when it gets opened, right? Uh, Only when we seek, it's that one we'll find. And so there's a need. There is an authentic spiritual need that the church and we as members of the church, and we as people who have certain roles to play in this world as faithful followers of Christ, but also as husbands and fathers, wives and mothers uh, in in our call in in this world to to be praying. And um, I shared about the importance of intercession and how we do that, especially at Mass. I talked about that. And then just the scriptures. You remember the scriptural image of the friends who carried the paralyzed man like, it's a really powerful image of intercession. As an intercessor, you're carrying someone to the feet of Jesus, and even though if there are obstacles, you're going to press on, you're going to persist, you're going to be consistent, you're not going to give up, you're not going to waver, you're going to continue to press through obstacles, you won't be stopped because God wants to do something extraordinary if we'll just get that loved one to the feet of Jesus. And then I I finished with uh, this reflection on the intimate connection that, there is between the hidden life of someone who's praying and interceding in the active life of those who are evangelizing and bringing the light of Christ into the world because again so many of you who are listening you may be living in a circumstance in your life or situation in your life where it's like oh, I'm an empty nester I don't have a I don't have a profession I don't have a job that gets me out into the world but you know what I am I am in a place where I can offer up my prayers, my sacrifices, my good deeds, my sufferings, in order that those who are active in the world, that they would bear fruit. In fact, you may remember Mother Teresa's sister, St. Teresa of Calcutta, that she actually formed a group of contemplatives and in particular would seek out those who lived lives of suffering, that they would offer their sufferings, they would offer hidden lives of prayer and suffering as the secret engine of fruitfulness for the sisters who lived active lives, who also prayed for sure. They lived, they lived very intensive lives of prayer as well. But just to say that St. Teresa of Calcutta knew, believed in, was convinced and convicted by the power The intercessory power, the intercessory engine for evangelistic radiance and fruitfulness that comes from intercessory prayer and from those holy intercessors who give themselves over to it. And you remember the, the Moses story up on the hillside overlooking the battle with Joshua when the Amalekites were attacking and as Moses kept his arms in the air along with Aaron and Hur to hold his arms up, that's when Joshua won. When jo- when he lacked Joshua, locked that back up, he, he he lacked that backing up of the hands raised in prayer, then he would lose the battle. And when when they were victorious over the over Amalek uh, the Lord said whisper into the ears of Joshua that the Lord takes up his banner and I just a beautiful little reference in the scriptures there in in Exodus 17 whisper into the ears of Joshua the Lord takes up his banner right? So the standard bearer, the banner, the one who carries the banner of of God's people would often be the one who, what, ran out, rode out front, leading the way into battle, leading the charge. And there's, what, a great point of attack that happens there. (laughs) Like, go get that guy, take down that standard bearer uh, who's not fighting but leading others into the battle. And, um, and Joshua, don't, don't get it wrong. Don't get it confused. You might think that you were very clever and strategic and strong, and you were able to lead in a way that was courageous and, and stirred up everyone, and, and, and you won the victory. No, 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 no. No, that was true. You did all of those things. But it's the Lord who took up his banner. It's the Lord who led the way into battle. It's the Lord who brought about the victory. And that came because of intercessory prayer. There's such powerful work to be done through our intercession. I'm going to pick up on this theme in a minute on Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. It's great to be with you today. So the Lord takes up his banner, but he will stir his spirit in us to be the ones who manifest that, who live that, who become, um, uh, if you will, the, the manifestation of the heart of Christ to be praying for his people. Christ in heaven is praying for us who are here on earth. And the Lord does call us to play a part. And so I'm going to pick up on the the thing I could only mention in the last minute of the program, and it was this theme, this metaphor for intercessors. What's, What's an intercessor? What's someone who is committed, who gives themselves over to this incredibly important work of praying for others. What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, to pray for others is not just say a type of prayer that I'm just going to say, I'll say a, a prayer of intercession for someone who's sick, and then I'll move on to my day. But an intercessor is someone who carries the very person that they are praying for in their hearts, right? Like the stretcher image imagery but it's an assignment by God. It's an assignment by God. God will call for someone to take up that assignment. And, and the metaphor is to stand in the gap, to stand in the gap. You see it in Ezekiel twenty two thirty, 30. And you may remember if you caught the end of the program that to stand in the gap was an image connected to a city built on a hill back at that time, built on hills. Why? Because They were best protected from enemies who would come and attack them or to try to take them over. If you could build a wall around the top of a hill, it was difficult to attack. You couldn't get above, right? So you had to go through the wall. So an attacking army would advance. They'd come up the hill and they'd look for, when they would encircle the city, right? They would say, you're not going anywhere now. You're stuck. But they still had to get in. And so they would have to break a hole in the wall. And so the wall would be attacked and they would look for signs of fracturing, of breaking, of, of crumbling. And when a hole or a breach or a gap opened, that was a critical moment. Because as soon as there was a breach or a gap in the, in the wall, then the invading army could pour through and then it was game over. And so there would be warriors on the inside, there would be soldiers on the inside who were called upon to go stand in the gap. So if you've ever heard that phrase, sometimes you'll read it in spiritual uh, literature, books on prayer, things like that. The call is to go stand in the gap or to stand in the breach. That was the imagery. It's, it's from Ezekiel 22:30, And it's the Lord who's saying, I'm looking for someone who'll stand in the gap, who'll stand in that place we're fighting as fiercest. Because destruction is assured if the enemy gets within the wall. And so the one who would stand in the gap, here I'm quoting, would be to expose oneself for the protection of something, to make defense against any assailing danger, to take the place of a fallen defender or supporter. That's what it meant to stand in the gap. Okay, here's a hole. We got to go plug that hole because the enemy's coming. And you 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 all of a sudden if you ponder like what would that look like? What would that be like? You're like, "Man, that is fierce." What a fierce image. Yeah, that's what it means to be an intercessor. So, intercessory prayer. If you are sensing a call to it. And boy, do we need intercessors today to pray for the church is to enter into a place of fierce battle, of of facing an onslaught. And the Lord is calling for people to do that. and and, and so here's the thing, right? God chooses this image for intercession um, and to stop and say, is our battle, you know, our spiritual life is that of anything to do with like the idea of warfare or battle? Yeah, spiritual warfare, right? We battle against the forces of darkness, against demonic powers, Ephesians chapter 6. And and here's the thing, right? That spiritual battle is often done in secret. It's often done in hidden ways at times that people aren't aware of. And I want to say that that battle for hearts and minds is often won in secret more than in the open. I, I'll just say this from human experience— raising all these kiddos, and talking with lots of young people over the course of many years, how often do you find that your efforts to sit down those teenagers and say to them, what you're doing is wrong, and let me explain it to you. What you're believing is incorrect. It's a lie. Let me let me fix that belief, and let me share with you the truth. And they're like, Dad, thank you. Dad, I just repent. I change my way of thinking. I'm a new being, right? Well, we could wish, and, and I'm not saying that's never happened. But I want to say this: that spiritual fruitfulness in those conversations, a sense of openness and receptivity in the mind and the heart, in the demeanor and the attitude of those teenagers, is going to be prepared for. It's going to be the 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 till the, the soil will be tilled, the ground will be broken up, the hardened heart will be pul- uh, pulverized. That that's contrition. Um, more by the secret acts of intercessory prayer and the secret acts of the intercessor who's standing in the gap. And those secret acts of prayer might also include acts of self-denial, self-sacrifice, offering up sufferings, willingness to take on additional spiritual burdens that are for the sake of those dear ones that we're praying for. Whoa, oh my goodness, all of a sudden, All of a sudden, intercessory prayer might involve things like fasting and self-denial, giving up comforts, giving up ease, getting up earlier, staying up later, battling for souls. That's intercessory prayer. Now, there's another theme here that is really a bit, like, stunning, but when you hear it, it's like, wow, that is beautiful, Lord, really beautiful. And that is that the intercessor, as God assigns him or her, is taking up the part of the people against God, rather than taking the part of God against the people. And let me say that again. The intercessor takes up the part of the people and faces God, rather than taking the part of God and facing the people and it's so funny or ironic because when we go before God on behalf of our loved ones especially like I get I'm thinking teenagers because that's the one where uh, or, or children you can be adult children right if you have adult children in your grant you know maybe you're, the, you're you're thinking about your kids who have left the faith or just other relationships where there's so much suffering and even trauma involved, It's so easy to take like you're on God's side and it's like you want to kind of come up and kind of stand next to God and look at that like wayward son or daughter. And you just say, Lord, come on, like, what are we going to do about that guy? You know, Lord, you just got to fix that guy. Right. And, And so it's it's like we put ourselves often, even in our intercessory prayer on the side of righteousness, on the side of godliness, on the side of God and we are like pointing the finger at the the one who is in darkness bondage brokenness the one in need and yet standing in the gap is the opposite the lord is saying stand in the gap so that i may not come and visit upon them the just deserts of their actions they are betraying me. They are a faithless people, and I am coming with my uh, justice so that they will experience what it means to betray my rela- a relationship with me and to break the commandments. And the Lord is saying, no, 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 no. I don't want you to stand with me against them. I want you to stand with them, identify with them, Take their part. Take their place. Stand in front of them and face me down in prayer. Face me down in prayer. So think about the scriptural images of the intercessor, the one who mediates before God on behalf of the people. Think of Moses, right? God says to Moses, stand back, let me at him. Let me destroy your people. And what does Moses do? Falls on his face and says, God, please yield, relent. Don't do it. Take me out. If you're going to take them out, take me out. But Lord, don't. For your name's sake, Lord, for the sake of your own mercy. Uh, for the sake of your reputation. Lord, don't do it. And and what is he doing? He doesn't stand with God and point at the people. He stands with the people and, and is like, Lord, you're going to have to go through me. You're really going to have to go through me as I fall in my face before you if you want to get to them. Whoa, that's the intercessor. Or Abraham with Sodom and Gomorrah. You know the story, right? The Lord is like, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And what what does Abraham say? 50 people. Can you find 50 just? Well, for the sake of 50, I won't destroy them. What about 45? For the sake of the 45, I won't. What about 40? What about 35? What about 30? What about 20? What about 10? For the sake of the 10, I won't destroy them. What is Abraham doing? He's not standing with God saying, Man, those people are just corrupt. Let the fire fall. (laughs) Let fire and brimstone come. He intercedes. He stands in front. He negotiates. He battles with God. He wrestles with God to win mercy and favor for Sodom and Gomorrah. Fortunately, didn't work out. Couldn't even find the 10. So there is that role in intercession where we are called upon to experience a sense of solidarity with those who are caught in darkness. Because you know what? Let's be honest. Like, we have fallen ourselves. We do fall ourselves. We are tempted to betray our relationship with God every day in our thoughts, words, deeds, and omissions. And we have the potential to do far worse than any of these that we're praying for. We have to know that. We have to believe it in our gut. When I wrote my book on Confession, Five Sentences to Heal Your Life— there is the fifth sentence, like, I did it, I'm sorry, forgive me, I'll make up for it, I'll never do it again. I did it, I'm sorry, forgive me, I'll make up for it, I'll never do it again, right? So that's, uh, it's uh, accusation, it is contrition, it is confession, it is satisfaction, and it is resolution, or petition. Petition, is, so it's, it's confession is the self-accusation. And then, it, so it's confession, contrition, petition, Satisfaction. And then the last one's resolution. I'll never do it again. And part of this reality of I'll never do it again is this sense of disgust over sin, but it's also this conviction that says, along with St. Paul, I'm the worst sinner. You remember Saint Paul says this in First Timothy, he says, For among sinners, I'm the worst. And I want you to understand the spiritual attitude of Paul, who underst- who sees himself. As the worst sinner, what does he possibly mean by that? This great saint, and after the Lord Jesus, really the greatest evangelist in the history of the church, after Jesus, Uh, you know, maybe Saint Francis Xavier, but I'm going to put Saint Paul right up there, and uh, and he calls himself the greatest sinner. Now, he he's I'm going to propose to you that he's not saying objectively speaking, line up all the sinners in the world line up all of their sins, weigh them up, and figure out who the worst is, and he ranks number one. So he's not trying to make a scientific case that objectively speaking, he's the worst sinner. Neither is he simply trying to exaggerate for the sake of effect, right? It's not just hyperbole. So he means something by it. And here's my sense of what he means. What he means is that From his own interior encounter with the grace of God poured out upon him so lavishly, and the mercy of God so abundantly poured out upon him to rescue him and preserve him. And when he is in living in his awareness of all the goodness that God, all of the grace and mercy that the Lord has poured upon him with such fidelity— and how his response has fallen so short of being faithful in return to the one who's absolutely faithful to him. In his heart of hearts, he cannot imagine that anyone who was given as much as he was given would have responded as poorly as he has responded And so the inner conviction that he has of being the greatest sinner is this fruit of knowing how much and how perfectly all of those graces and mercies have been poured on his life by God and how poor his response has been in return. And while he can't know For sure, how anyone else would have done, he cannot imagine from inside his lived experience that anyone would have done so as poorly as he has done. And so, no matter the heights of holiness that he's achieved, he is firmly convinced that he's the greatest sinner. Hans Urs von Balthasar puts it this way, the nearer we come to God in holiness, in likeness, the more deeply we experience the distance that still remains. As the number of sins we commit diminishes, the horror over the sins that still remain increases. And it's that dynamic that gives rise to the insight that I am the greatest sinner. That lives in every authentic saint. Back in a minute with more Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. I am the greatest sinner. Well, that doesn't sound very good. I just said it. every authentic saint like, can speak those words. They will know it. I could say this. I've glimpsed it. I glimpsed that sense that says, I really have tasted that idea that God has blessed me in so many ways in shocking generosity. I just really can't imagine that anyone would fail or fall short as much as I have. I, I, I mean that. Now, I, I know I can mean it a lot more deeply than I know it, and hopefully I'll continue to—I'll uh, grow closer to God. The number of sins that I commit will diminish, but it will lead to that dynamic that the horror that that will live in me over the sins that remain, and that sense of, I cannot believe how unfaithful I am, the more deeply I experience the Lord's fidelity, that, that that's our dynamic, right? That's That will live in us. That's why, like— you know, St. Francis and St. Padre Pio right at the end of their lives are like, pray for me, brothers, for I fear the judgment of God. And I'm like, oh man, if you're praying that, if you're crying out and saying, please pray for me, I fear the judgment of God. I'm like, what am I doing? Like, what am I doing if that's their authentic prayer? And it's not that they didn't have confidence in the Lord. It's that they experienced that discrepancy. So, when you when you hear that kind of like that spiritual insight that is in our scriptures and in the lives of the saints and in our tradition then don't be surprised right that there's this sense that says the intercessor takes up the part of the people against god rather than the part of god against the people because they are so deeply aware and convicted and convinced by the discrepancy that exists between the fidelity and holiness of God and their lack of fidelity and holiness in return. So, continuing on then about this reality of Intercessory prayer and becoming an intercessor, and this is my hope in sharing this with you, that you might be open to receive that grace and even ask for the gift. Lord, give me the heart of an intercessor. Make me your intercessor for this time. For I can do that. I have the availability to do that. I have the willingness to do that, or at least, Lord, I have the desire to have the willingness and the ability and the availability to do that, Lord. So even at least, just pray for that. Well, why do I say that? Because. In Ezekiel, God could not find anyone. God could not find an intercessor to stand in the gap, and destruction came. That is really sad. Not that's not really sad. It's tragic. It's tragic. Uh, and, you know, we don't appreciate tragedy enough. Um and I don't want to say like tragedy that is widespread because widespread tragedy just will kind of wash over us and and we can become numb to it. It's personal tragedy. And, And when I say this, is that like a widespread tragedy will always involve a number of individual personal tragedies You know, 17 people today died in this city as a result of gunfire or as a result of COVID or whatever. These are individual lives. These are individual souls that have their own destinies, their eternities at stake. Do you realize that? Do you have that awareness, that painful awareness that lives within us, that salvation, heaven and hell is at stake every day that we live our lives for some people? There are lots of people on, the, on this earth who will die this day. And for each of them, they face judgment and then heaven or hell. It's like, you know, who cares who wins the Seahawks game? Who cares about, oh, my stock portfolio went up? Who cares? Like, oh, yeah, you can have a level of care about those things, of course, right? Don't take yourself so seriously. But take seriously that God takes you seriously, oh intercessor. The Lord could not find anyone, and destruction came. Isaiah 5 The Lord is the vine dresser. The Lord is the vine dresser. And what's the complaint? The complaint is that the vine dresser is caring for the vines, builds a tower, builds a a, a fence around and, and takes care of the, the vines. And then what grows? What do, what do these vines yield? Sour grapes. Sour grapes. And, and the Lord's like, what more could I have done? What more could I have given to you and lavished upon you to awaken in you a sense that The good things I've given to you, yes, they're for you, because I love you, because I'm your heavenly father, and I love to bless you. But you're also my son, my daughter. You're a steward of all of these good gifts that I've given to you. You see, they're not only for you. They are for others. And if the only thing you do with the good gifts, the blessings that I've given to you is you use them for your own purposes, you use them to not only be of a source of comfort, a source of of enjoyment, a source of uh, uh, ease for your own life, then those very blessings will become curses. Jesus tells the parable about the rich man and Lazarus. And that rich man is not like some huge sinner. In fact, in the parable, the rich man is one who has been entrusted with like the most meaningful and important sources of blessings that the hearers of that parable would have understood. This is a blessed man. He's a blessed man. He is an Israelite. Because he recognizes Moses and the prophets later on in the parable, he is a rich man. He's so rich that his house has a gate. <laughs> he's so rich his house has a beggar. <laughs> That's how rich he is. He has his own personal beggar out at the gate, Lazarus. And he is so rich. He's rich in family. He has five brothers. He's rich in uh, and, and he has uh, uh, wealth. He has wealth because he's eating sumptuously every day. He is uh, a man of status, for he has purple cloth. He dresses in purple and fine linens, which was a sign of, of authority, a sign of prominence, a sign of recognition in the community. So from the standpoint of the Jewish people, you're looking at a man blessed in every dimension of his life. And where does he end up? He ends up in hell. Why does he end up there? A failure of stewardship. A failure of stewardship. What in the world are you talking about? Well, the blessings that were given to him, the wealth, the power, the status, the, the food, the brothers, all of these things led him to take these blessings as something that was connected to his own sense of identity. He identified with them. He became the owner of them rather than the steward. And he missed the stewardship that was literally at his gate. The stewardship at his gate was what? It was Lazarus. Lazarus was one whom God helps. And here he is what? He's lame. He has sores, so he's sick. So he has only the dogs, the wild dogs, which were considered unclean. He ate scraps that fell from the uh, scraps that were thrown away. Uh, He ate garbage. So here he is, a man who is considered cursed in every way. And yet he ends up in heaven. He ends up not just in heaven, but in the best place, the, the top seat in the bosom of Abraham. It was a way of identifying the, the highest place in heaven, is where Lazarus goes. And Lazarus does not look like one whom God helps. But you know what? That was what God intended. God intended to be that Lazarus would be someone whom God would help. God would help him through the rich man. That was the missing piece in the parable. And the clue is in the number of brothers— How many brothers did the rich man have? Five. What's five plus him make? Six. Six is the number of imperfection, right? Six, six, six. Six is the number of mimicked perfection. It's the number that looks like seven, but just falls short of it. And in just falling short of it, it falls the furthest away from it, and it becomes its opposite. And so he lived a mimicked perfection, and as a result, it reversed the blessings into curses. He missed the stewardship that was his, in the form of Lazarus at the gate, if he had only welcomed Lazarus into his home, if he had only cared for Lazarus and tended to his medical condition, if he had only had said, you have a seat at the table, in fact, you are welcomed into our family, in fact, let me call you a brother, then how many brothers would Lazarus have had? Six. I'm sorry, the rich man have six, which makes a total of seven. Perfection. The perfection came when he realized that the blessings that were given to him were not only given for him, they were given for the brothers at his gate, the brothers connected to his life, those others that were around him. And if he failed to do that, the blessings become curses and he ended up in hell. And if he did do that, then he would have shared the life of heaven. That's what's at stake. So my brothers and sisters, you who are listening to me, this call that we have to be intercessors, there's a lot at stake because I'm talking to very blessed people. Now, some of you have been blessed in these human ways that I've been talking about, but just the the spiritual blessing of being Catholic, of having a fervent faith, a vibrant faith, that, my brothers and sisters, is not only a gift. It's not only a lavished gift, lavished gift, mercifully given to you, uh, uh, so generously poured out upon your life. It's also a stewardship. It's also for others. Intercessory prayers is a very important way that we use it for others. Back in a minute with more sound insight. Welcome back to Sound and Sight. This is Tom Curran. Kind of fired up today, um, but just really, I, I don't know, going with the flow, going hopefully with the flow of the Spirit. And maybe I need to pray that whatever God shares through me today that is meant for you, that it would stay, and that what is not intended to stay, that it would be gently washed away, right? Not a bad thing to pray. But I do pray that this would be a blessing to you. Um, If you are blessed by this program and you want to share it with others, just go to MyCatholicFaith.org. Go to MyCatholicFaith.org because you can there. um, Download free resources. You can sign up for the podcast version of the program. Just go to Apple Podcasts. You can type in the Dr. Tom Curran podcast, the Dr. Tom Curran podcast, and you'll get uh, access to all of these shows as well as digital downloads free of charge. That's audio, video, and digital books, all free. All free just for you, to be a blessing to you. So go to MyCatholicFaith.org and you can sign up for those things. If you do sign up for the podcast, if you become a subscriber, leave a review and rate the show. Because if you rate it and review it, it will cause Apple to say, hmm, this show is getting some attention. We should pop it up in front of other people. They might like the show too. So it's a great way to help spread the word about Sound Insight. So mycatholicfaith.org. You also can get in touch with me, as I said. You can email me, give me feedback about the show, how it can become better, or if you're blessed by it, I'd love to hear from you as well. Talking about intercessory prayer today and and really encouraging you to consider the stewardship of all the blessings that God has given you in your life, right? How can I make a return for all the good he has done for me? I'll take up the, the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. Psalm 116, verse 4, I believe that is. And so here's the thing, right? God in Isaiah 5 is saying, I was counting on you. I was counting on you. I, I, I poured out all these blessings upon you uh, and and sour grapes, and the lord is saying i was counting on you i remember when i first heard that i heard that from from my spiritual director at, at uh, in the seminary in rome father george Ashenbrenner. he gave a talk on isaiah 5 and he used that phrase i was counting on you and i was so struck by that just that idea that life is a stu- it's a gift but it's also a stewardship it's a stewardship that god is going to and we just we take that idea that we're owners of the good gifts that God has given to us rather than stewards. We were called to be generous in pouring our lives out for others. Like really, this moment is a moment where extraordinary action is, is required. Like this is not a moment for half measures. Like the faith of so many will not like advance, will not be protected, will not be nurtured, will not grow. Um, with that sense of just living for ourselves and enjoying the blessings and just sort of hunkering down. No, it's time to step up, stand up, show up, push back. But we need spiritual engines like at the basis of all of this. Oh, we will fail. We won't have spiritual fruit. So there's something at stake in your being the intercessor that the Lord intends you to be, to pray for others. If you're not sure what to pray for, pray for me. Pray for uh, Sacred Heart Radio. Pray for your pastor. Pray for your priest. Pray for your bishop. Pray for the bishops of the United States. They're meeting right now, right? And you think the bishops don't need prayers? Like The the challenge they have to be good shepherds, to be faithful shepherds today, is enormous. It's enormous. Um, I read about a survey that was taken among priests and how a lot of priests were pessimistic. About the outlook and in the, in the church today, and it's like you know what? Um, from a human standpoint of measuring results, you ought to be, because statistically, there's a complete F, a failure, below F in terms of handing on the faith to the next generation. We have failed, but it should make us not just like pessimistic about like will the church continue to shrink, but rather. It should be make a, making us more courageous to say, if what we're doing isn't working, let's do something differently here. So, for instance, Aaron, there was a rebellion, like when Aaron um, was uh, Aaron was uh, the the right hand of Moses in the desert, and Korah rebelled, and the Lord was visiting upon Korah and the rebellious. Faction that went with him against Moses, Um, a plague fell upon the camp. And this destruction was sweeping across the, the rebellious people. And Aaron took a censer and he ran out right into the middle of the devastation, the plague that was falling on the camp. And so he ran out right into the middle. He didn't run away from it. He didn't stand back and watch and say, whoa, I hope God shows some mercy here. No, that the act of incense, incensing is an act of intercession. It's an act of worship, but it's also an act of intercession, interceding on behalf of others, prayers rising up before God. And he ran out right into the middle of it and it stopped the scourge from spreading. He literally stood between life and death. And that's what's happening today. It's a battle not just for hearts and minds. It's a battle for souls. And you can, you can be like Aaron in the midst of a time of rebellion. You can be like Aaron, running out right into the midst. You could just say, Lord, just, I just stand right between the devastation that ought to fall upon us and the devastation that we're seeing in the church today, and I offer you worship I offer you my praise. I offer you my prayers. I offer you my time, my energy, my sufferings, my sacrifices. I offer them, Lord, save us, your people. Save us, cleanse us, renew us, set us free. God, make us holy. Lord, just do a mighty work today, please. I will not stop. I will not yield. I will not relent in coming before you, humbling myself before you, crying out for mercy, for for grace. Lord, for healing, set us, your people, free. Intercessory prayer. Intercessory prayer. What happens when we do this? There are certain dynamics that will happen when we begin interceding. Um, first of all, intercession changes the intercessor. You begin to pray in prayers like that of intercession, you're going to get changed. How often do we see something happen that makes us upset or critical? And what do we do? It's so easy. We criticize. Or we compare. And I can remember, this is from early in our marriage, Kerry and I, I'd come from meeting with this guy in ministry, met with him and was pouring into him, pouring out, sharing insights and hours of my time to help him with his ministry. And I can remember get, coming home and talking with Kerry about this. Uh, and I, I was being critical, I was criticizing. And Kerry said, You know, you should actually pray for him and stop criticizing him. <laughs> I said, "Thanks, Carrie. I'm not going to share with you anymore." Uh, you should stop. You should stop criticizing him and start praying for him, intercede for him, and um, and and here's the thing: that might be a sign that you're called to be an intercessor. Is how quickly or naturally you turn to intercession as your response to situations like this, rather than the criticism. And I can remember I, I started to intercede for him. I, I took Carrie, I uh, took her to heart, and I'm like, you know what? Lord, I'm praying for so-and-so. Lord, he just lacks these abilities. Lord, it's so frustrating trying to, uh, and, and <laughs> all of a sudden my my prayer started to be informed by my criticism. And I can remember when I was praying, Lord, about all the abilities he lacked, The Lord's response was, well, I intended you to share your gifts with him. And I'm like, ouch, ouch. I intended you to share, oh, guess what? The gifts I've given to you, the gifts I put into your hands, I gave them to you, not only for you so that you could somehow use them to compare yourself to him and criticize him because he lacked the gifts that you're given. You know what? The gifts that you're given, they're gifts. And if you've been able to develop them, guess what? That's also a gift. So stop criticizing and realize that the gifts I gave you, stewardship. Share them freely, generously, because guess what? I share them freely and generously with you. And then I started continuing to pray, and I said, Lord, you know, I just gave all this time and energy, and he barely even thanked me. It's like he barely even acknowledged me for all that I had done for him. And the sense I got was that the Lord then said to me, How do you like it? Ouch! Ooh, that was hurtful. That was painful. He barely thanked me, Lord. Tom, how do you like it? And it was just a conviction about how much the Lord has so generously, patiently given to me and how I barely had thanked God. That was really convicting. How do you like it? So let's just say, yes, indeed, intercession changes the intercessor. So I am encouraging you to intercede and even to be open to becoming an intercessor, to let that spirituality of the intercessor take root in your life. And and I promise you, it'll change you. It'll unveil areas in our lives where we are broken, where, we're, where we consider ourselves owners rather than stewards, where we realize that we still have a part to play, a beautiful part to play, and and being conduits of, of God's cooperators and collaborators bring and bringing about great blessings that He intends, even helping to bring about the salvation of souls. Wow. All right, end of my program. Join me tomorrow for more Sound Insight. God bless your day.